0: Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now, let's join our guest speaker.
1: Worship really fired me up. So, I hope you guys have got time. Maybe 6 p.m.? That sound good? Let out? (laughs) So, today I want to talk about Jonah. This is one of the first stories that I was taught in in the Bible as a kid. And it makes sense. Uh, It's one of the shortest books of the Bible. Just four chapters. Um and we see an amazing story unfold, plenty of miracles and really cool things that happen. There's a giant fish that swallows a man. That's cool. You want to teach the five year olds about that. So uh um I got to learn this, but as a youth leader and teacher, um for the past seven and a half years, I see stories like this often fall into legend or slowly forgotten. Um and today, I'd like to refresh your memory about God's great love and his relentless pursuit of sinful people. Um, from a city full of chaos and sin to a rebellious prophet, nobody is beyond God's reach and love. So, I'm going to get into uh, some backstory for Jonah. Unfortunately, we don't actually have all that much. Um, verse 1 gives us his name, and my kids know, wherever you guys are, I see some of you over there. Uh, Names are important. There you go. I always have them say that because in the Bible, uh, when the Hebrew people would name their child, there was a lot of prayer and waiting on God to hear from him. So when you named your child, it was important to God. So names are important. Jonah's name means dove, the symbol for peace, which is kind of interesting uh, with with the whole story of Jonah, and we'll get to that in uh, a little bit. Um, but verse one, uh, we're going to start chapter one, verse one of Jonah. Uh, here again, all we get is Jonah's name. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. So we get a name and we get his calling. That's it. That's our backstory for Jonah. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid a fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is told by God to go to Nineveh and refuses. Now, there's a reason why he refused. It wasn't as if he just decided as a prophet of God, well, ah, somebody else to take care of it. There's prophets in the area. And just a little side note, sometimes we can assume that there there's so many churches around. and eh, they'll take care of it. They've, you know, I, I think there's more churches here per block than there are where I come from, which is amazing to me. And it's really easy to say, well, we've got total coverage of the lost. We're fine. Just the, the next church will take care of it. Um, there's a story uh, that is probably mostly true. <laughs> the fastest way to kill a fish is to go on vacation and tell five people to take care of it. By the time you get back, uh, nobody will have fed the fish because they all thought the other person was feeding that fish and it's too late for the fish. (laughs) Um, Anyways, we we can't have that idea for the lost and Jonah couldn't have made that assumption because nobody wanted to go to Nineveh. Um, In fact, the Assyrians were people of great violence and cruelty known for slapping people with fish, if you guys are familiar (laughs) with (laughs) the veggie tales. Um, In actuality, they were known for uh, torture, dismemberment, and public shame. Doesn't that sound like fun? Um, Kind of the idea of me going to an ISIS camp and saying, hey guys, you want to hear about Christ? (laughs) Jonah was a little, you know, eh, they're fine. They can die. It's fine if God destroys them. I don't care. That was kind of Jonah's idea. Um, Unfortunately... God says, uh, "Ah, actually, I still want you to go. I don't care if you say no. So um, this is Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. And we get to see God's reaction to this. Now, God could have given up on Jonah, zapped him, and moved on to the next guy who would actually listen to him. But we see this patience. Um, I know I probably would have zapped him, but it's a good thing I'm not God. (laughs) Um, Instead, the Lord does something pretty interesting, and we'll see that in verse 4. So the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So here we see God rise up this huge storm, And just to give you guys a little context, this was not something that was very... Sailing wasn't very common back then, at least going out far distances. This wasn't like Columbus and his great big ship with large stores of food. These guys were actually fearful that if they ever lost sight of land, that they would go out into the middle of the ocean, or in this case the Mediterranean Sea, and be lost. They'd never find their way back. Monsters would destroy them. All kinds of things. Gods would come and blow up their ships. That's what they believed. So they always sailed close to the land so that at least if something happened, they could try to row back to the land and avoid those crazy sea monsters that were out there. Um, This storm is preventing them from doing that. They are scared to death. Literally to death. They think they're going to die. They're very scared of the ocean. Uh, and God causes this great storm to rise up. And what is Jonah doing? He is sleeping in the bottom of the ship, which I always found hilarious. Uh, Verse 6, so the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots, so that we may learn whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now on whose account this has this calamity struck us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? What are, from what people are you? So they find out that it's Jonah's fault. And they start asking him all kinds of questions. What did you do? Where are you from? Like, What is going on? How could you have done this to us? In verse 9, he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord of the. Uh, sorry, I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And I've always found this funny that Jonah says this. He knows that God is everywhere. He's the one who created everything: the land that he's sailing to, the land, the sea that he's sailing over to get there, and the land that he's sailing from, and the land that he's called to go to. He knows this, uh, and he still thought that he could get away from God. I can almost feel his realization. God was with him when he told Jonah what to do. He was with him on the ocean, sailing to Tarshish, and he would have been waiting for him in Tarshish if he had left. So it's kind of like, a oh, well, I guess I've got to do what God says. But for him, he thinks it's too late. So it's Jonah's turn to kind of figure out what to do about this. He had caused the sailors to throw their cargo overboard, so this was what they were paid to do. They just chucked it. They wanted to survive. They figured their lives were more important than the expensive cargo that they were carrying, so they let it go. But the sea kept raging, and uh, that was Jonah's fault. He would caused these men to fear for death, and they couldn't believe that someone who followed a god so powerful had just... Let this happen. Jonah's rebellion had not just affected him and his relationship with God. The sin Jonah had tried to hide, not just from God, but also from those around him, had hurt the people around him. In our lives, generally our sin won't manifest as fatal storms. If I lie to Elder Sam, I'm probably not going to get hit by lightning. Though, maybe. (laughs) He's got a good connection with God. Um, But, oftentimes it does affect people deeply. And I'm going to look at Luke 6:45, where it says, The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And in Proverbs 4:23 it says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. So here he's saying, whatever you put in your heart is going to come out. And if you guys are uh, committing sin that you think is hidden, maybe you uh, lied to somebody, you covered it up real well, eventually that seed in your heart of sin will come out. You can't hide sin forever. And obviously you can't hide sin from God, but oftentimes we think, well, I didn't kill anybody. It doesn't hurt anybody else. I told a little white lie or maybe I did something that I shouldn't have. It didn't hurt anybody. But what we don't realize is those are building up in our hearts and eventually it flows forth. You can't hide sin from God and you can't hide sin from man. So... uh, we're going to look at the sailors' reactions to this as they, they see that, that evil bubbling up from Jonah in the form of this storm. So the sailors immediately began to question them, asking, how could you, knowing that your God has, in all of his power, how could you think that you could run away from him? How could you have done something so dumb? So we're going to pick up in verse 10. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. So here again, Jonah is realizing this is my fault. This was my sin that caused this. This was my rebellion. And... God, I guess he realizes here, God still loves these sailors. I will sacrifice myself, throw me out into the ocean, and you will be saved. So, we're going to go back to... uh, I lost my place. 13. Um, The men, instead of doing what he said, they feel bad. Yes, you caused us to probably die, but we don't want to kill you. We don't want to be responsible for this. So they try rowing back. So verse 13, um, they tried to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Verse 14, then they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So here, I'm just going to pause in the middle of 16. I love that God takes Jonah's rebellion and he still uses it for good. Even though these men were uh, probably uneducated sailors just out doing their job, they believed in many different gods as we read earlier in the passage. As soon as they see God's amazing works and what Jonah does Uh, when he's actually following God's plan, they immediately are like, all right, God, you are God. That's it. Done. And they make a covenant covenant immediately with him. And they even offer a sacrifice. Jonah, in his rebellion, God turned to save these sailors, which I think is awesome. Uh, Now, Finishing off, this is this is the part where, as a five-year-old kid, I was like, "Wow!" The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. So, again, even in Jonah's disobedience, uh, these sailors are saved, and God is able to turn that around. But Jonah has not really been punished for his his rebellion. He hasn't been. He hasn't turned around yet. He believes in God, and he's kind of preached to these sailors, but he's not in the right headspace. So God forces him to be in a quiet place for about three days and three nights, almost like sticking him on time out. (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, he's, he's given this time to think and pray, possibly cry. I don't know. I probably would if I was stuck in a fish for three days. Um, but when you zoom out and just read the, the story, as we may think of the fish. Sorry, let me read that again. When you zoom out and just read through the story, we may think of the fish working as an ancient Uber or Lyft. But uh, it got him from one place and let him out in another. But again, as I said, this was kind of a, a reset for Jonah. Uh, some time for him to repent and talk to God. A pastor I used to listen to a lot in Colorado, um, he would always talk about how when you're in ministry, it doesn't mean you're perfect. In fact, a lot of pastors argue with God and backslide when they hear from him. Sunday message was great, but eh, I heard something from God on Monday, not feeling it. But as a pastor, you always have to figure your way back so that you can preach next Sunday. <laughs> so, um, otherwise, it's just man's thoughts. And those words may be wise in that pastor's eyes, but if God's not blessing your sermon, there's nothing there. Um, obviously, he can use that, but, you know, you're not following God's plan. So, it was just kind of interesting. As long as you can get yourself in a headspace, just pray and be in the Lord you can make your way back. God has to force that on Jonah here, but he also does get to his, get on his way to Nineveh. Um, often in those times from turning from God, we try to find our own way, but ultimately God calls us back. And sometimes he puts us in that time out so that we can reflect and understand the consequences of our actions. God is powerful, but he is also patient. He is the perfect and loving father who uh, knows when and how to correct us And in Jonah's case, he needed three days and three nights to think. And hopefully pray and fast. I assume he's fasting. Otherwise, I don't want to think about it. (laughs) So, uh, into chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to try and move through the whole story of Jonah. We'll see. I was joking about keeping you guys till 6, but... mm. (laughs) So, uh, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death, the great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. So here, Jonah begins to understand the love and salvation of God. And he prays this prayer, actually, at the end of his journey. Because in verse 10, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. So he spent three days, three nights thinking about this, and he finally realizes God's love is gracious. God's love is great, and his grace abounds. And at that point, that's when God's like, Alright, time's up. You can leave the corner now. <laughs> so again, moving into um, uh, Jonah's kind of journey. Uh, this is starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great sea, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah goes to Tarshish again, right? No. He's like, I'm going I'm to listen this time. I spent my time out, I prayed, we're good, I'm going to go to Nineveh. So he begins, he arises, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. And I love how God calls to Jonah here. He gives him the next steps, and Jonah, after a very tumultuous week, uh, he gets up and begins his journey. You can see God's persistent calling and Love here as he desires to save the city of Nineveh and also use Jonah as his messenger. Again, at this point, he could have just moved on to the next person, but he, has, he doesn't just want to save the city of Nineveh. He also wants to grow Jonah as well. So here he is very patient and he works with his messenger Jonah. Uh, human does, disobedience doesn't change God's plan. His plan didn't fail because Jonah decided he knew better than God. Instead, God's relentless love and grace changed to Jonah. So, starting in verse 4, Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Uh, I'm going to pause real quick If you go to verse 4. There are... Uh, very many words in this particular sermon. Uh, Jonah's, in the original Hebrew, was five Hebrew words. That's it. In English, it is, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight. Eight words in English. That's it. He walks through the city from one end to the other. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, thanks, guys. Bye. That's it. That's all he does. But, with those five words, in verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered in sackcloth and let men call from God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds and that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So again, this very simple message. He walks through the city, preaches this, and we see actual repentance. Everyone. The king tears off his nice robes and puts on sackcloth. He is truly repentant. Everyone participates in this. And it's interesting to me how they say that too. Let us repent so that maybe God will prevent us from destruction. They don't care. They think that they're too far gone, but they're willing to make the change anyways, which is awesome. In Second Corinthians 7.10, we see, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Again, we see real repentance here. At the end of this chapter, God presents them with their salvation. Even with this short message from Jonah, the people show that true repentance. You don't need eloquence or great abilities or apparently even more than five words, but... God can do whatever he has called you to do. He invites you lovingly to lend your voice to his message and join him in his work. We are invited to watch God the Father, learn how he speaks, and say what he does. Jonah's simple obedience brought the salvation of an entire city. So this is uh, the end of chapter 3. And I wish that I could end here. I wish that I could say, and Jonah went off full of glee that he had saved an entire city. But he doesn't. Um, We do get to see God's sovereignty over creation and salvation in chapter 4, though. So, if you'll turn with me to chapter 4. Let me change... I was using CSB because everybody knows that's the best translation. Um, let me switch to NASB, which was what they've got on the slides up there. But it, was greatly, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. So, again, I'm going to stop here because I'm imagining a three year old, like, and then just walking away from the city. He's upset. How is he upset? He just saved thousands of people. And God got to show his love, his blessing, and he's like, No, I knew you were going to be loving and blessing and kind. And he walks away. I don't understand. So, The Lord asks him, again, being very nice, as you do with a three-year-old, like, come here, child. It's okay. Let's talk you through this. And he asks, in verse 4, do you have good reason to be angry? Jonah doesn't respond to him here. He just leaves. He goes out from the city, verse 5, and sat east of it. Then he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what was going to happen in the city. So he waited. He figured, it's fine. They're going to slap somebody with another fish and the Lord's just (laughs) going to boom, city gone. So he gets ready to see the fireworks. He's excited. He had his little temper tantrum and now he's like, all right, God, blow him up. So he builds himself a little shelter. Um, Verse six, so the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from the discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Again, like a three-year-old who just saved an entire city. Be happy. He's mad. Then, again... God says to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he actually replies to this one. He says, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. So again, he storms up to God, spits in his face, and he says, Yeah, you grew up a plant and then you took it away from me. How could you do that? Verse 10 Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight. And overnight perished. Should I not co- have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? So here, again, God comes back. He's very kind. He doesn't immediately zap Jonah, as, again, I might. Somebody bad talked me, and I was like, You just saved 120 people. Calm down. Instead, He says, look, you have such compassion over this plant and I caused it to grow. I also took it away. There's 120,000 people over there in that city of Nineveh. I care about every single one of those people. Why don't you? You, in working through me, were able to save all of those people. And you don't care. They don't even know right from left. They don't know how great their sin is. Or at least they didn't know until you came in, said your five-word sermon, and then left. So here again, I wish I could have ended in verse four, but or uh, sorry, chapter three. But Jonah has to get another talking to. Jonah is angry with God over the repentance of the people of Nineveh, despite God's miraculous rescue of Jonah from the sea and the repentance of an entire city. Jonah still has not accepted that God's purpose and desire was to save the wicked and ill-deserving people, and uh, it caused him this anger. And sometimes I believe that we can have that same idea. When we talk to non-Christians, and they're having a great day, their work is better than our work, they're taking vacations, and we're sitting here on Sunday listening to me, (laughs) thank you, by the way, (laughs) instead of out doing whatever we want to do. We decide, as Christians, to follow what God has for us. And sometimes, it isn't as good as what we see out there. The people of, of Nineveh, they were a rich city. They had all kinds of things. But, instead of looking on in them in envy, we should look on and cry with God. They don't know their right from their left. And Jonah still doesn't see this, but we can. Jonah makes the mistake of obeying God without changing his worldview, changing how he's thinking about doing God's work. He does what God wants him to do, but he doesn't look at the Ninevites any differently. And I want to warn you guys away from that, because we need to change the way that we look at the lost differently. Earlier I brought up, it's very easy for us as a church, as a group, to think, you know, there's a church down the road. In fact, Points like three minutes that way, by walking. It's easy to ignore everyone here. Crosspoint's got it. Thomas Rhodes got it. No, we have to do that. Cornerstone Community Church needs to go out there and rescue the lost because they don't know their right from their left. And if we don't change our worldview, we're just obeying God and doing what he says and not getting to reap that joy, Jonah could have been extremely happy, rejoiced. He just saved 120,000 people. I know a lot of pastors that don't have enough uh, things in their Bible to write 120,000 And Jonah did, and he missed that. So as you go out this week, I want you guys to think about that. Realize that God is not just calling you to obey because he thinks it's fun to boss you guys around, or maybe you get something good out of it. Jonah got a nice plant. You know. You get a nice little benefit here and there that God gives you, but also you get to share in the joy of doing God's work with him. So with that, I'm going to close and pray. Oops, and also drop my mic. Lord, I ask that you would uh, choose to be patient with us, and I thank you that you have been gracious with us so far. I ask for you to change our mindset, change our worldview, the way that we see the lost and the wicked. I ask that you would uh, help us to share in your pain and share in your joy as. Uh, we see those uh, that we bump into this week um, and talk to them about you, Lord, that your gospel would shine through us, that your Holy Spirit would speak through us as we interact with those throughout the week. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you. That's,
1: that's real good. I never heard Jonah
0: preach that way. <laughs> it was real good. I, I love especially the last point, but, you know, there's a lot of churches around here. And you could get lazy and think that, you know, where they're going to cover it. That's not what we're about. We are determined to reach the people out there. There are a lot of people going back and forth who don't know the Lord. And so we are implementing a two-year plan that we're going to reach out to people. And then, as Clay was saying, when you go out here, Uh, depends on your worldview, you should be witnessing. You should be sharing your faith. Fight people to church. That's what we should do. And so that's part of my passion, my desire, and I want to see this. And I just thank God. Thank God for your message. Thank God that this is something we can take with us, all of us. Nobody is is immune. My mom is sick at home, but, yes, she's constantly inviting people and talking to people. So we can do it. Could you all please stand?